Welcome to Gambling with an Edge with your hosts, Bob Dancer and Richard Munchkin. Bob Dancer is America's premier video poker writer and teacher. He's written 10 books, including Video Poker for the Intelligent Beginner and the best-selling million-dollar video poker. He helped develop the computer software Video Poker for Winners, and in 2004, he was inducted into the Video Poker Hall of Fame. Richard Munchkin has been a professional advantage player for over 30 years and is in the Blackjack Hall of Fame. His book, Gambling Wizards, Conversations with the World's Greatest Gamblers, is a testament to the many ways you can succeed at gambling. The goal of the show is that you'll be a more knowledgeable gambler tomorrow than you were yesterday. And now, here are Bob and Richard. Good evening. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Our guest today is Philip Reed, a professional author and a novice-level blackjack player who found a blackjack mentor and toured the United States playing blackjack. His brand-new book, Wild Cards, recounts this journey, and we'll be talking to Phil in a few minutes. This show is being pre-taped and will probably be aired on December 1st. While this is being aired, Bonnie and I will be on a 15-day cruise between Long Beach, California, and Hawaii including five days of island hopping. We've both very much been looking forward to this and at the same time quite concerned that this is an El Nino year. Things could get a bit rough. It's a pretty big ship, but when you compare it to a uh, Pacific Ocean and stormy weather, it's really tiny. Still armed with Dramamine and a reasonably strong conviction that these ship captains really know what they're doing, we'll be leaving for our venture right after Thanksgiving. Wish us luck. Right. You know, we took a, a cruise to Alaska one time, and it's it's some bad weather, and half the people on the ship were were uh, you know I've, suffering. I've been at a tail end of a hurricane, and they went out of their way, and just the tail end still was bad news. Yeah, <laughs> the ship held together fine, but it wasn't fun. Anyway, let's talk to our guest. Philip Reed is an author who has written both fiction and nonfiction. He's written books and screenplays. His current job is, in, is in, as an editor of Edmunds.com and to talk on a radio about cars. Philip Reed, welcome to Gambling with an Edge. It's good to be with you guys. So um, I, I just have to say right at the outset that I uh, wrote a play that Philip uh, reviewed 31 years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, so it was, I'm happy to say that the review was good, so we're allowing him to stay for this hour. Uh-huh. And, and I actually remember it. I don't remember his performance. I didn't know he was an actor, but I do remember the play. Uh-huh. And maybe that puts something in my mind about writing a book about blackjack. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Although uh, the play was about a guy who actually was a cheat as opposed to a legitimate advantage player. But, uh, right. but there you go. So Small worlds. Your newest book, called Wild Cards, is about a year in your life when you went from raw beginner to someone taking a long road trip playing jack, blackjack all along the way. Why don't you take about five minutes and tell us about the book, and then Richard and I will have some questions for you. Well, I wanted to start by saying that this is the official release day of Wild Cards. It goes on sale at Amazon.com. And so I'm really thrilled to be here with you guys on this great radio show. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah. And well, congratulations. Flattery will get you a second <laughs> invitation. So right. I'm just trying there. to soften you up. So uh, anyway, so I want to tell you a little bit about how the book came to be. Um, 
I've written a number of novels. Uh, I like to write thrillers, and I was contemplating writing a thriller called The Fraud Triangle about a CFO of a company who's investing a fraud in his own company. So he's a kind of a button-down uh, corporate kind of a guy, but during the weekends he goes to Las Vegas and he's a card counter. Well, I didn't know anything about card counting or blackjack, so I thought <clears throat> I have to do some research. Well, as serendipity would have it, a few weeks later a professional golfer friend of mine came to visit. He had just been in Las Vegas giving a, a golf lesson to a professional blackjack player. And the golfer brought to me the official manual of the MIT blackjack team. And this golfer, his name is Jacob Bowden. He's a specialist in swing speed training. And uh, he said, you've got to write a book about this guy. So the manual sat on my desk for a couple of weeks. And one night I didn't have anything to read, so I picked it up and I started reading it. And it was funny because I started reading it, and it's, it's a very good manual, very good basic manual, and, I th and something just kind of clicked. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Could you really do this, you know? So I started learning basic strategy, and a little while later I wound up going on a cruise with my father, and they had a casino on board. And I played just using basic strategy, and the worst thing happened. I won some money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the thought was, can it really be this easy, you know? And, of course, it's not. But when I got back, I, um, I got uh, Bill's number. Bill Palis is his alias. And I gave him a call, and he wasn't at all what I expected. Very understated guy, very uh, almost like a businessman, you know. I expected sort of somebody like Rhett Butler, you know, very flamboyant, you know, storyteller kind of guy. But he, he was very straightforward. And we kind of hit it off, so we decided we would meet in Las Vegas and uh, kind of give it a trial run. Was your original plan to write the book about him, or, or did you kind of plan— or, or your original plan was to write the novel, but yes. But when you decided to write about the card counting, were you going to write about him? Or I think it was because you know I had no intention at that point of actually learning to count cards myself. I thought I can handle basic strategy, but counting cards sounds way out there, you know. So I, I called him and, and we got together and. Um, I did sort of think about writing the book about him, but, you know, it's kind of a fishing expedition when you're starting to write a nonfiction book because you just have to kind of see what you've got and where it goes, you know. So I got into it, you know, uh, step by step. So I met him in Las Vegas, and the first thing that happened was I saw him win like 1600 bucks in a 20-minute session. But it, it was pretty dramatic because he went down like, you know, 1000 bucks, then came roaring back and, you know, and, and cashed out with a $1,600 win, and it was like... You know, I'm not sure what I just saw, but it's, it was pretty impressive. So uh, we started working on the book, and a short time after that, I went to, uh, I took a sabbatical from my job at Edmonds, four months, and I decided to go to Argentina to visit my son. He's a graduate student there. And I decided, you know, I'm turning 60 years old. I've got to keep my brain in shape, so I'm going to study Spanish, and I'm going to learn to count cards. So I was down there, and I played in a couple of casinos, one in uh, Buenos Aires and one in Bariloche, a nice little casino up in the mountains. And by the time I got back to the U.S., it was like, you know, this is a lot of fun. I'm going to really push forward, but how am I going to make the book kind of fresh and original, you know? Well, I had read Blackjack Autumn. That's a pretty good book. That is you know. a good book. Very we nice. had Barry on the show talking about it. Yeah, yeah I thought that's, that's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, of course, I think he's a stand-up comedian or something, so he's had a lot of good one-liners, isn't he? <laughs> no, no, or, no. He's well, he got off some pretty good one-liners yeah. in, in the book. And um, I just thought, you know, with that in mind, I thought, well, I'm going to hit every casino uh, on the way to the East Coast where my dad lives and back. That's and a driving. lot of casinos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And more all the time, too. I mean, they're really growing 
popping up everywhere. I think there's 1,500 casinos in the U.S.? Yeah, something like that. Um, And um, like Iowa's got casinos now. They've had them for a long time. Yeah, okay. So you never quite know. And, of course, Illinois has got a, got a bunch of them. And, and I hit some, some of the big spots. You know, I went to, uh, to Foxwoods. I, uh-huh. I really wanted to go to Foxwoods. And but you didn't play Vegas. Um, well, I had played it already, and yeah. I was going to play it again soon. <laughs> I figured that was pretty – I did go to Wendover. Yeah. That, was, that was actually a pretty nice part of the book. I mean, it was one of those days where everything worked, you know. And I uh, had a big win, and it kind of sustained me for the rest of the trip. So um, – uh, so I kept, I kept driving and kind of trying to put the book together. But when I was in the Midwest, I met with Bill. Bill's got a really good friend who's uh, the priest of his diocese. And um, his name is Father Andy. That's his alias. And he likes to invest in Bill. And he started to invest in Bill and me. And we would play. We would pool our money and play. And we traveled together and played together over the course of about a year. And we played Tunica. We played uh, Biloxi. And we played Vegas a number of times. Hmm. So that was sort of the core of the book. And um, but an- another piece of the book, I don't know whether you guys know uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote The Tipping Point. Sure. Uh-huh. He's got this kind of way of taking, s- you know, subjects and making everything so interesting. And so you're learning and, and, and you're entertained and everything. And I kind of wanted to do that with the Blackjack book, like tell a personal story, but also tell a, a kind of a deeper story, too. So since we've got the priest involved, you know, now we've got theological overtones. But. One of my, my, my personal story is that I, I was a horrible student. I was never good at math. So I'm the worst person to kind of undertake, you know, what you would think is a highly mathematical uh, project. I think the outsiders think it's highly mathematical. Once you get into it, you realize it, it really isn't. No, no but um, so, I mean, my take on it is, you know this better than I do, but the math has already been done. It's been done for a long time. It's done by computers. If you want to, you can go and do it again. But right. really, even the even the the name card counting is a misnomer. It's tracking. You know, you're really just basically tracking. And if you use the high low, of course, you need to do a little bit of division. But uh, you know, but that's about it for for math. So, um, but this type of thing, I'm not very good at. Um, in the course of the book, I actually went to a psychiatrist and was diagnosed with adult ADD. And it made me kind of review my entire life in terms of being a poor student, not being able to tackle certain subjects and so on. And kind of the conclusion of all of that was I can learn, but I learn a lot slower than a lot of people. And I learn in different ways, too. I don't learn in an abstract way. Like if I'm talking to somebody about cards, I want to actually see cards so that I can really visualize and process because that's how you play when you're at the table is you're, you're seeing everything. So it, it was a, a way for me to really evaluate what was going on, you know, in my own brain. And I think I learned an awful lot about learning in it. And I hope that I wrote a book that's both entertaining but useful to particularly beginning people that are interested in card counting, interested in blackjack, want to get a little bit better, and they wonder what the life is like. You know, that, that, what does it feel like to go into like a tunica or a Biloxi and spend three days and go up and down and up and down, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And, uh, and I, I think, too, I, I hope people find it funny, you know. I mean, there's a lot of kind of crazy stuff that happens in a casino, let's face it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, our listeners know quite a bit about those <laughs> kind of things. Now, in the book, it, you mentioned several times that this adventure put a strain on your marriage. Yes. Um, 
are you still married and are <laughs> you uh, still playing blackjack? Uh, well, I just talked to my wife uh, about 15 minutes ago, so I think we're still together. Good. That, that's the latest. When I come home tomorrow, maybe it'll be different. But uh, my, my wife comes from a very conservative background. Um, that said, she, you know, she came from a southern background. Her father was one of seven boys, and he'd go into the woods across the street and drink moonshine. And every once in a while, he would disappear and spend four or five days at the horse track. Uh, you know, so when the whole concept of going to Las Vegas with family money came up, she was not a big fan of it. But um, time passed, and uh, we didn't mortgage the house. And, um, you know, didn't seem to be any dent in the, you know, in the, um, in the savings account. So she, she accepted it. Um, she's hoping that now that the book is published and my name is out there, I won't be able to play. <laughs> uh-huh. so, she hopes you'll be recognized and yeah. barred everywhere. Is yeah, that it? and I said, "Look, you know, I'm small potatoes. I'm not sure that that's going to happen." Yeah, but, you know. Yeah, in the book, you do not present yourself as someone the casino should fear. That's true. Yeah. Now, Bill Palis uh, is a. Uh, you present him in the book as a very accomplished former MIT team member. Mm. So he was your mentor. And having a mentor is very good. But then he would share bankroll with you, and you would both play on a common bankroll. When he knew he was three times the player you were. And so why, and you were, possibly had a small edge, maybe not. It was It's unclear. Um, and in the beginning, it seemed like, you know, you were still making basic strategy errors and... Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, I, so why would he do this? Yeah, why would he uh, dilute his uh, bankroll, carrying along a a novice? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good question, a really fair question too. Um, first of all, it wasn't a fifty-fifty split, <laughs> so he he did take more than I did. I think that he felt um, also. I'm writing the book, you know, and that's something that you know he really wanted to to get done because i think that you know when you're good at something you want recognition even if it's going to be sort of anonymous so um and, and then there were times uh as things went on when you know how the swings are sometimes i mean he would he would because he he played at a higher level he probably usually he almost always played two hands so he played at higher stakes um and so his ups and downs were very you know very severe and sometimes, you know, me plodding along with a small edge, uh, I had a few wins that sometimes really contributed quite well. But um, to some degree, I think it was the generosity and the endorsement of the project that he wanted. I mean, he's been to, to, to Vegas quite a bit, and he, he thought it was a lot more fun to have a trio rather than just him and Father Andy. Yeah, I was going to say he was also splitting money with Father Andy, who wasn't a player at all. I mean, Father Andy was off playing video poker, yep. right? Probably, probably not. You know, optimally. Uh, I don't know. In the book, he always wins. <laughs> he always, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, God on his that's side. Yeah. He, that's because he read your book, Bob. <laughs> I don't know. I certainly don't know how to win every time I play uh, video poker. Um. Good. Now you started off with the KO system. Yep. Knockout, which is powerful yet simplified. Less powerful than others, but mm-hmm. still pretty good. Uh, 
Bill tried to get you into a more advanced one. Right. Before you really even had KO mastered, and then apparently decided you weren't were doing real good with the uh, high-low, so better send you back to KO. I, I have to say, when I got to that part of the book that Bill wanted you to move up to Zen, I was like, what? Are you crazy? Yeah. You know, because it was cl- pretty clear you really were not, you know, completely 100% with the KO uh, at that point. You well, know? you read between the lines and you read accurately. Um, it was. Uh, I, I think he expected me to come along faster. Uh-huh. I mean, and, and I think that there's an element where when you know something really well, it's so clear to you that you can't believe that other people can't pick it up quickly. You know, um, So I think that there was a little bit of that. Also, I think a good teacher is always challenging you. Now, uh, he didn't – I mean, he, he, he did talk about the Zen. We had a big uh, – conversation about that in his basement and he was saying oh this is great and it's not that hard you know um but i I did use the um the the high up one you know with the a side count which is kind of a handful too yeah i wouldn't have i wouldn't have done that either i would have kept you on the ko and yeah uh, and uh well and the other thing to explain this bob a little bit was we were kind of bouncing around because I mean, uh, Bill really felt that uh, for a single deck, uh, high up one was really good because you had the A side count, and the high low was particularly good for this for the six deck game because you really you know, um, and then but but then after we were into it for a while, he said, "Look, let's focus on two deck games and let's just do the knockout, and stick with that, and you got to be got to be confident with it." And I think that the the, the two deck game is a really good compromise because you know if you do lose the count. You know, it's not that far to the end of the to the, to the reshuffle, and you start again. Plus, you can get a high count after a couple of hands. Right. How how much time were you actually spending studying, and yeah. and were there big gaps in between your trips? So that um, yeah, there were some pretty big gaps. I mean, at least a month or two in some cases. You can forget a lot in a month. Yeah, there, there's that. Plus, uh, you know, the, the 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 difficulty of learning blackjack is not spending a lot of time at the table. I mean, if I could come every day and play a little bit and under casino conditions, I think I would have moved along a lot faster. But, like, for example, you know, I'm home, I'm doing my full-time job and everything else, I'm practicing on the side, and then you, you hit Las Vegas, and you've got to play for, like, four or five sessions to find out what you've got, you know, mm-hmm. to really see how you're processing it. And uh, so there was always a huge startup. So we'd try to come to Las Vegas for three days. The first day was a mess. The second day was pretty good. And then the third day was usually, you know, we were digging out or I was digging out anyways so that I could go back home, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 well, there were long gaps, and that was, that was difficult. I have to say one of the um, objections I had was this whole concept of, having to have confidence um i mean it it may look good to the pit Mm -hmm. to have confidence but he seemed to imply that if you weren't confident you couldn't win and the the cards don't know whether you're confident or not you know the the right play is the right play sure regardless of your attitude so yeah not only that but if you look too smooth too confident they immediately start watching you you know, so I felt I was in pretty good shape, you know, fumbling with my chips and, you know, I never spilled a drink. But, um, you know. But do you know what I'm talking about, that section of the book where he's saying. Yeah, I know. You, I know exactly what you're talking about now. Uh, and I, I think in there I, I say, you know, there are a lot of intangibles. 
And I think that what Bill said at that point was he said, uh, you know, it's good to have positive thoughts in life, you know, and that certainly is kind of an intangible, too. It's sort of like karma. Does karma really exist? Well, over time, maybe it does. And who can ever prove it does or it doesn't? Um, I play a lot of tennis, and I do know that being confident in when you're playing tennis, like to have body, bad body language is bad for you and for your – it sends a signal to your opponent. So – you know, I think that you need to feel confident, but you don't need to be, you know, Mr. Sort of Player at the table. Kind yeah, of thing. I, I think you may um, be happier as a person if you're going in confident, but yeah. I don't think it'll affect at all whether you win or lose. Yeah. I mean, if you, can, if you play competently. Right, right. Um, no, Richard, it may affect you, your stopping point if you are so disgusted on – you're on a losing streak or something, and your confidence is totally blown. That's you, true. You yeah. may lose uh, sight of um, standard deviation <laughs> and normal swings, and just get an old screw it and uh, and take other actions. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right about that. I think confidence can help you process information faster and more accurately. I mean, anytime I think that you're relaxed, because if you're confident, you're going to be relaxed, things will flow faster. Because actually, I read some books on memory, and they said that anytime you're under stress or pressure, your memory decreases. And one of the books that I wrote was actually a, a, a book about free throw shooting, uh, you know, performance under pressure, right? That's mm. kind of the ultimate test. The uh, world's champion free throw shooter lives in Long Beach, and, and we wrote a book together. And he said, if you want to shoot 85% in a game, which is pretty good for a free throw shooter, like Magic Johnson used to shoot 80, 85, you should shoot 95 in practice, you know, because there's going to be a drop-off from once you get under pressure. And I think that for me, going to the tables was very much like that. There was a drop-off because there were so many things to process. And, I mean, not only were there all the expected things, but then there were all the unexpected things, people jumping in and out of the game, asking you questions, you know, all those things. And I really had I had to feel I had to be confident, and I had to have it automatic. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree that it needs to be automatic. You need to be able to. But one of the interesting things that I, I found was that there are a lot of books about card counting, but there's not a lot of books about how to learn it. You know, like like the um, the world's greatest blackjack book. It's a pretty good book. It's kind of overtitled though. <laughs> yeah, because mine came out now. Uh, yeah, right, so, right. <laughs> but in that book, that actually wasn't where I was going. But okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, I'm thinking positively. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but in, in that book, they talk about you know counting down a deck. That's you know one of the big exercises, and you know um, various different ways to keep the count. But but I felt that there was a big gap in between. Here are all the numbers and what they stand for. Now go out and do it in a casino actually i um i don't know if you know who tommy highland is but oh, yeah. okay so uh i interviewed tommy for my book um and in it he had the exact same problem when he first started he 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 understood how what you were supposed to do but he couldn't figure out how to do it and when he first started he played with a friend and one of them would count all the positive cards and the other would count all the negative cards and then they would you know compare notes right, right. um but you're right there aren't any books that talk about sort of i mean the way i teach people is you wait for the second card of each hand to come out so you're looking at the hands in pairs yeah and canceling them a- out. actually that was a big breakthrough for me <clears throat> too was uh 
Bill came to my house, and we were going to go to some of the Indian casinos down in Southern California. And so we started playing some hands, and he said, don't count them until they're out on, on the table. Because then, I mean, you, you're just going to cancel most of them. Right, right. You know, and then from there on in, you, you, you have to count. But, uh, yeah, and that was somehow a big breakthrough. It was like, here's where you look as the car- cards come out. And, and and it really helped me enormously. Yeah, it, it seems so obvious once you know it. But for many people, that is a – and actually, when I first started playing, I started playing on single and double deck where it was all dealt face down. Mm-hmm. And when I first tried to play face-up shoes, it totally threw me off because I was used to – you. I mean, it was really kind of slow because they would turn over the people's hands and reveal them two at a time. Yeah, right. And then trying to keep up with the dealer who was dealing all the hands face-up when I first started playing was – yeah, it was really tough in the beginning. How, how did you learn or what, what count did you use first? Uh, when I first started, I learned the high-low. And then uh, I, swip- I switched uh, to the high op two, which I mm. used to play single and double decks. Um, but I didn't play single and double decks for long, and I went back to the high low uh-huh. um, pretty quickly. You know, sometimes uh, so, so I went back to the um, to the knockout. I mean, basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to look for when you have an advantage. Uh, well, two things really: you're trying to find out when to raise your bets, and you're trying to to use the index, the index numbers. Yeah, but all the money is in yeah. two things, really. The money is in how much you raise your bet and how good is the penetration. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's the index numbers and all that is little of your win rate compared to, you know, the penetration and, and how big your bet spread was. And in the beginning, your bet spread was so small yeah. that, like... I, I don't know that you had an edge at all. Um, well, I mean, if you don't raise your bets, you probably don't have an edge, right? Right, and if you're only if raising one betting. to three, which is what it sounded yeah. like, you were raising, you know, one to three. Well, if you have two hands going one to three. Well, but that's still one to three, yeah, right? Okay. You know, I mean, it's one to three on two hands, but uh-huh. it's the ratio between your big bet and your little bet is only one to three. And, I, you know, on, on most of the games – you know, here in Las Vegas, I don't know that that'd be enough to win. Uh-huh. You know? What What do you spread? Well, I haven't counted cards in years because okay. um, the edge is too small. I kind of moved on to other uh-huh. things. Uh, but I would mostly play shoes and spread 1 to 20 or 1 to 40, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but that was back when you could get away with that a lot easier. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's a very narrow edge. I mean, that's one of the um, revelations. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and the other one is it's just a, a whole lot of work, <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. A, a lot of work and a lot of travel. Yep. So. And and you weren't, uh, I mean, there's one other factor which you didn't really have to suffer too much of. But, you know, once you really start moving up to the point where you're making serious money, you just yep. get thrown out all the time and your picture gets disseminated everywhere. And Right, right. You know. Yeah. So. Well, all along, I knew I was writing a book. So anytime right. I took a pretty bad lo- losing session, I thought, well, it's for the book, you know? <laughs> yeah. This year-long trip was as much about self-discovery as it was about uh, about playing blackjack. Are Are you a different person today than you were before you started this trip? Are, are there any life lessons you got out of this that apply to your life today at Edmonds? And 
whatever else you do in Long Beach. Well, I, I try and keep it on the down low at Edmonds. <laughs> but um, uh, actually, you know, Edmonds, we come up here sometimes uh, for a lot of business uh, trips. We used to uh, go to the racetrack and take driving school up there, too. So I've been in, out, uh, in and out of Las Vegas, but it's a whole lot more fun when you're playing blackjack to be in Las Vegas. But in terms of self-discovery, uh, you know, it was really it really was more of a revelation than any of the other books that I've written. Um, uh, I kind of saw a whole other side to myself. You know, I thought of myself as um, really risk-averse and somebody that, who couldn't learn complicated subjects and somebody who didn't really like the excitement of, of gambling. <clears throat> and it didn't turn me into a compulsive gambler or, or, or really a problem gambler. But I like doing it, and I was kind of surprised to find that. You know, it would be funny because th- these trips would almost go through the same cycle every time, which is we come up here, we go up and down and up and down, you know, and then sometimes stay down and leave town. And, and every time I left, I thought, I'm never going to do that again. Three or four days later, you know, you, you're rested, and it's like, you know what, that was kind of a lot of fun. <laughs> and then you start getting, you know, the uh, the free rooms in the mail and you start looking at your calendar, and before you know it, you're planning another trip. So that really that really surprised me quite a bit. And, um, you, you know, I, I think I learned about learning. That, that was a really big thing was I learned about learning. And here, here's my takeaway is that, you know, I was a really terrible student, and that's because the public school system decides if you, do the, if you learn these things, you're well-educated, and if you do good at them, you're going to be a success. You know, I mean, that's the message that they send to kids. That's the message I got. Mm-hmm. And if you fall outside of that, then it's like you, you're, you're stupid or you're, you're a bad student or, or whatever. You know, well, I, my, my brain is just wired differently, I think, and it didn't fit the system. You know, and, and I began to think about everybody around me, and I, I, think that, I think we're all kind of put together differently. You know, we process information differently at different speeds. We, we like different things. Some people are even have disabilities like Asperger's syndrome, which is actually very interesting, kind of uh, what's going on in the brain there. And, you know, autism, there's some amazing powers that they have, like Rain Man, going back to, <laughs> to Blackjack and, and, and so on. So I think that it kind of was a look inside. And I've, I'm, I'm 63 now. I wrote the book, or I started writing it when I was turning 60. Because I've been kind of working on it for a while. And I thought it would be an interesting to get to know myself toward the end of my life. You know, you never stop learning about yourself. And so that was, that was a, a you know, big bonus to the book. One, one thing I have to say um, is, uh, I don't know your publisher, but um, for anybody out there that is going to write a book that has anything to do with gambling, you must have someone who knows about gambling do a proofread. Yeah. Because there are, unfortunately, many kind of just basic errors in the book. Like just one example is, yeah. uh, you know, it says that one number on roulette pays 39 to 1 instead of 35 to 1. Ah. Or, or, you know, there are those kind of just very simple uh, things that any, anyone familiar with gambling would just pick up immediately and and but most people at publishing houses most editors they have no idea so they don't know no they don't it's all new to them and as a matter of fact it's kind of funny because driving up here i was thinking "Uh oh i wonder what richard and bob caught in in, in the book um 
It's funny. I mean, a book, particularly a book like this, there's just so many details in it. Plus, I did so much rewriting where I, I was moving pieces of the book around all the time. And when I really actually started writing the book, you know, my education level for blackjack uh, increased enormously. So I kept going back and finding mistakes and trying to correct them and so on. Sure. But I apologize to all the gamblers out there for some yeah. of the, the stupid mistakes. Now, is Bill a full-time, is blackjack his full-time profession? No, he has another job. He's in he the does. financial business. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 According to your website, you at least were playing with the title, with another title other than... Um, wild card you were thinking about a piece of the action which also sounds like an intriguing title how did you uh did you go back and forth on these two titles what'd you do here i had the worst time trying to find a title for this <clears throat> and i've got to tell you kind of a funny story you were talking about penetration earlier um when i first talked started talking to bill he said you know one of the most important things in blackjack is deep penetration you know and i thought wow that would be make a pretty incendiary title for the book my you wife know. says the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it actually, for a little while, had, had that title, you Deep know. Deep penetration? Yeah. And then somebody said, well, when you go to publicize the book and you say the book's called Deep Penetration and somebody Googles the book, <laughs> where are they going to wind up? <laughs> They're not going to wind up on a gambling website, right? Yeah. But it worked on so many levels, you know. But... Um, so then it was a piece of the action, uh, you know, meaning that uh, I was involved rather than just, um, you know, uh, sort of rep a reporter, which uh -huh. I, I have been. And then um, my wife, one night, she's very good with titles and things like that. She's a writer, too. Um, one night we're sitting around the dinner table and she said, well, what about wild cards? And we all got kind of quiet and it's like, hmm, yeah, that fits really well. My, my theory about titles is once a title... Uh, the right title comes along, it sticks to the book mm -hmm. rather than you trying to stick it onto the book because you have to be comfortable saying it out loud, you know, wild cards. Piece of the action I just never felt good about, and deep penetration made me blush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have named it uh, a writer, a priest, and a blackjack player walk into a casino, dot, dot, dot. Well, you know, um, <laughs> you, you know when I tell people about it's funny. When I tell people about it. That's a good it, title. Yeah, yeah. That is a good title. But I couldn't think of the punchline. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole, well, well, the the whole, whole book, book, yeah. The whole book is a punchline. <laughs> the whole book's a, yeah, it's kind of a shaggy dog story. Yeah. Right? But, um, yeah, I, I did think of some. Okay, so when people hear about it and I say, you know, wrote this book i traveled with a professional blackjack player and you know lots of times the priest came along too and people were like the priest and <laughs> then they start smiling you know and it's like it's not like it's funny or anything but i guess it's unexpected so <clears throat> you know i kept waiting for there to be more of the priest in the book actually yeah. you know I, I yeah there's something about that 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 makes you curious that or me it made me curious right. i i wanted to him to get more involved in the story uh so for yeah. me, that was a little bit disappointing that he wasn't more. Um, yeah. Uh, well, you know, some of that is because because <laughs> I didn't realize what I had. You know, what a good th what a good thing I had, I guess, in a way. But the other thing is that he he's just. I mean, he's just a, a priest that likes to get away and play video poker. You know that that's kind of his escape hatch. And um, you know, I, I was kind of intrigued because I thought, well, uh, you know, why is a priest playing? You, you know, going to Las Vegas and gambling. So I waited a long time, and then I, I finally asked him, and, and he said, you know, the Catholic Church is a lot more liberal about gambling. You know, they play bingo and those things. And he said, as long as you're not gambling with your household budget money, 
as long as you're not compulsive or addicted, we're not against it, you know? Yeah, I, um, uh, there was a pretty famous blackjack player named Keith Taft who invented the first mm. hidden blackjack computer. Um, and he was a very, very religious guy. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, uh, involved in his church, and and uh, and I remember saying to him, like, "How does this work with you and and your church?" You know, and his he you know he said, "Hey, there's nothing in the Bible that uh, against gambling." You know, so um, or or at least I guess his church didn't feel there was. You know, right, um, right. But I, it was always kind of a weird thing to me. You know, um, yeah, he, I know. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, it was good to have um, Father Andy along, and um, I was tempted to ask him to pray for us, you know. Uh, I, I joked about it once, and uh, it was funny because he just looked at me, and he, and all of a sudden he got his priest face on, and he <laughs> said, that's not how it works, you know. <laughs> and, and it was like, okay, you know. But, we, we, you know, we, we talked about things, and, you know, he was a very thoughtful guy, very funny guy. He also, you know, was really into sports, too, you know, watching hockey and stuff like that. So, hmm. you know, he, here he is, you know, seemingly just sort of like everybody, but if you go to him, I mean, I could, I could totally imagine going to him, you know, with problems, and he would be wonderful, you, hmm. you know, in, in that way. Do you intend to continue your blackjack career? Well, you know, I, I do enjoy playing. Um, as Richard mentioned, the, the edge is very small. And, uh, you know, I also don't have a big ba- uh, bankroll. So I guess at this point, I'm definitely, a, you know, a recreational player. I'm kind of fascinated by it. One of the things that I kind of like about it is I like the way the cards fit together, you know, the system. And when they fit together the way they're supposed to, it's a great feeling. You know, In other words, when you win. Yeah, that's another <laughs> way. It's a shorter way to say it. You know, uh, it's funny because yeah, you feel so smart when uh, when when the good <laughs> cards are coming your way, and so stupid when they're not. Yeah, I know, and it it and you're you're totally amazed at the combinations of cards and how they can defy seemingly all kind of logic and and mathematical probability. But there they are, you know. <laughs> and there's something nice about playing a game that exists on the table between two people you know um you know at times i've sort of thought well maybe i really should go over and play poker but there's something sort of nice about this idea that you're going to go in there and beat the system you know and make a little bit of money yeah absolutely okay we're going to take a short break now to talk about our sponsors shorter than usual because this is being taped several weeks before it's being aired and we don't know exactly what promotions our sponsors are going to have but we're have more questions for Philip Reed. South Point will still have 10,000 <laughs> <laughs> video poker machines uh, exceeding 99% uh, in December. I'm confident of that. The usual promotion at South Point in December is a half price for almost everything using your points. So if you have the points, however you got them, and you go to any of the restaurants and you use your points then it's half off so that's going to be for most of december up until a few days before christmas but it includes buying uh new year's eve tickets assuming you buy them in the right time period the uh the new year's eve concert bonnie and i are going to be going to is uh uh michael cavanaugh who is um billy joel impersonator and uh, 
So using points, it's quite a bit less expensive if you use your points than if you uh, uh, pay cash. You need a discretionary comp there. <laughs> oh, I didn't say we were paying <laughs> oh, for <okay>. the tickets. <laughs> no, we, I'm confident we can we can get a, a comp or two. Yeah. But, uh, but not all of our listeners play enough at the South Point to get comps. But all... Playing enough to get uh, that much in free play to get the tickets would be good, easy. Uh, the, at the Palms, the first week of December, from actually November 1st, November 30th through December 3rd or 4th, whatever that Friday is, it's going to be free play. Uh, so in addition to your .25 slot club, you can redeem your points for an additional point two in free play uh, Monday through Friday. So it's like double points for that entire week. Uh, videopoker.com will remain the best place to play. Uh, a lot of games for practice. I do not know what their contest will be in the uh, first week of December, so I can't talk about that. All right. So we're talking to Philip Reed about his book, Wild Cards. I wanted to ask you about, there was a section in the book where you st- where he started teaching you about index plays. Yeah. And you were learning most of the illustrious 18, I think. Right. And, but there was a comment there that uh, where you said something like, he taught me a couple of secrets. Yeah. That shall remain secret or something like that. Right, right. And, and... It seemed to be in a conversation about index plays, which all the index plays are yeah. well published. N- no, so it, I, I I was confused over what what could be secret about index plays. Yeah, yeah, no, there, there, it wasn't about index plays. It was basically about certain card combinations. So that if you get cert- if you see certain co- combinations, then it actually so, sort of it's. It's not the same as you don't literally count them the same way because there's an increased probability of. You mean like you have a three card sixteen against a yeah. ten? You don't. Yeah. Even right. if they, okay, like I that. get you now. That. Yeah. Okay. There were a couple in specific, but it, at the time it was like, wow, you know, I'm just trying to master this other stuff. So the less things that you're tracking, the better. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I really noticed is that um, in the very beginning, every time I would play, it was like I was looking at the cards through a tunnel. You know, because you're concentrating so hard and trying to see so much that you can hardly see or hear anything outside. But the better you get, the more you see the big picture, you know. And I think it's really true of any sport. And and I tried to approach blackjack as a kind of a combination of a sport and a mental exercise. You know, that the better you get at it, the bigger the picture that you see. And, And, you know, what I found interesting was that if you learn basic strategies so it's completely automatic, then you can go to the next level and learn card counting, and then you can go to the next level and, and, and look at the casino around you and make sure that they're not watching you and other, other things. But you have to layer them on, on top of each other was the way that I felt that it worked. I, I thought he, uh, that Bill missed a very important step uh, with you, uh, which whenever I was teaching people, um, I would take them at that time to the Barbary Coast, but if I were going to do it today, I would take them to the El Cortez, yeah. and I would send them in and say, now this place is great, they have this great single deck game, and you can you know, spread from like $5 to 50 and 
Nobody you know, blinks an eye. And, and, and nobody if, will blink an eye. And if they're not kicked out in five minutes, then you you'll think be kicked out in five minutes, <laughs> yeah. right? But it's really important. It's a rite of passage. To get that, that first barring yeah. under your belt because, you know, people are so f- afraid of that first barring that, uh, you know, once it happens a few times, you, you get used to it. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, we did go to the El Cortez pretty, pretty early on, yeah. And uh, I didn't get barred there, though. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I completely agree with you. It's a you great place to practice. You must be a really bad player. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to not get barred at the Uncle Tess Yeah, is yeah, hard. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's an accomplishment. Uh, all right. Uh, okay, so now another thing. Uh, this this one almost I fell I almost fell out of my chair because it sounded like. <laughs> Uh, there was there was this uh, section where uh, Bill told you that when you were losing, to switch from two hands down to one hand because <laughs> it would change the rotation of the cards. Yeah, which yeah. is complete voodoo. I mean, well, people are always talking about the rotation of the cards, you know. But uh, yeah, well, that, the that. the civilians are. Yes, but yes, yes, exactly. So, I mean, did Bill actually think that or? You know, um, you write a book like this, and yeah, I mean, uh, that was my memory, and that's why I put it in. But huh. uh, but it doesn't sound like him, because I'm sure if he was uh, here, he would say, I never said that, or <laughs> it's, not tr- it's not true. So, he so didn't it's, possible, see- it's possible that I phrased it wrong, huh. or, or misunderstood it, because so, I understand that that's not right. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Did he, uh, did he proof the book before you? Yeah, he read it, he read it, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So he he's might have missed that part. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, but because I've I've gone through this in the past with people that I've written books with, and you know, in in a lot of cases, you know, you you call them up and say, "Did you read the book?" Yeah, I read the book. What do you think? Well, there's a typo on page fifty six. It's like a three hundred page manuscript, and that's what they say. <laughs> you know, I I don't know. People don't process books the same way that a writer does. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was I was looking for serious notes, right? And and that was not what I got. Yeah, you know, I found. But, but I would, I, I do want to say for the record, he wouldn't have, he he wouldn't have said that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I found that I had to tell people what kind of feedback I was looking for when I would give them something. Uh, I would say. You know, yeah, if you see typos, great. But what I'm really looking for is, does this flow? Is this clear? You know, and I, basically, I would I would give them direction. Um, you know, about what kind of notes I wanted. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a that's a really good way to go. I mean, th- to some degree, you're sort of relieved that there's not a lot. You know, I mean, there's, he read the book and he said it sounds great. You know, so so that's good. I feel that I need to be a really tough critic, but the things you're bringing up. I wish I'd caught them, but uh, I don't think anybody else, you know, will. This is this is a highly professional, you know, reading here. Well, that's true, but that's our audience too. Yeah. You know, our yeah. our. Uh, I mean, I think our audience is the audience for your book, but they are also the audience that's going to catch a lot of those things. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, maybe people will buy it so they can poke holes in it. But <laughs> if they buy it, that's fine. Yeah. Right. You know, go ahead and send me uh, all the corrections. I mean, uh, we have an online version as well as the hardcover. Yeah. So so, uh, I'm assuming the corrections could be made. It's harder to make the corrections on the hardcover. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Actually, I um, 
I had somebody go through after my book was published. Uh-huh. They went through and you know read redlined stuff and corrected you know punctuation errors and all that and yeah sent it back to the publisher. <laughs> well, I know that if and I was what did Anthony do when he saw that? You know what? Um, he actually took it all and for the second printing, they made a lot of the corrections. You know, um, I mean, that's the appropriate it, thing to do. It was helpful. Yeah, yeah. If there is, yeah, for someone to take the time to do that, though, and, you know. Yeah. Well, you never know what you're going to get when you ask for for feedback. Yeah. From from people. Yeah. If you had to do this journey over again, how would it be different next time? Um, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a lot l- longer road than I ever anticipated. So, you know, part of me feels like, um, I mean, it is what it is. I, I did it, and I'm really glad that I did it. But I don't think I had any idea what I was undertaking at the time. You know, I have a tendency to jump in and, you know, with both feet. But by the same token, there's a lot of things that just kind of unfold. So I think that um, I think that I would have um, I think I would have stuck with I, I did a lot of sort of like fumbling around you know playing games that probably weren't worth playing uh, you know six deck games are really difficult I, I wish I had focused more quickly on two deck games and focused on one count and I had to kind of to some degree find my own way to learn and what really was working for me. And it took a little experiment, um, trial and error, to do that. Do you have uh, Do you have kids, and have you talked about this with them? Or yeah, my kids are a little older. I have two sons, and one is a musician, and the other one is um, probably going to be a writer. He just got out of college, but um, they both know all about it. Uh, my old well, both of them probably would be a hundred times better than me at this because uh, you know the musician he, he studies languages and stuff. My other son does mathematical calculations in his head. They both retain and process information really quickly. So I think in the book I said you know that 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 they love me anyways despite my you know lesser capabilities. So they have no interest in learning, or you have no interest in teaching them. I would love to have them learn. Although I think it might be a little frightening, too, at the same time. You know, I mean, let's face it. First of all, they don't have a bankroll, yeah. you know. So uh, that, that's a big problem. And uh, I, would, I, I, I tell, told them what I tell a lot of people is that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty entertaining hobby. If you're going to sit there and play solitaire, you might as well practice basic strategy, and you can use it when you go to Las Vegas. Yeah. Actually, my younger son, who's not 21 yet, He's always on his phone playing. There, there's this kind of puzzle game called 2048 where it's a grid of numbers. And you, Anyway, he, it's pretty mindless, and he's doing it all the time. And so I downloaded a video poker app on his phone, and I said, from now on, instead of playing that game, you're learning jacks are better, you know? Yeah. So that, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he's better suited to video poker than blackjack, so I, I'm pushing him that way. But my other son is playing blackjack yeah now, they don't so. seem to have any real interest in it they've both been with me to casinos and, and watch me play one of my and they both met bill too and watched him play but i think it's just so far beyond their their the realm of at this point you know uh. that they don't seem to be drawn to it very good you had a um and again, <laughs> this was another one of those sort of voodoo things, but maybe your attitudes have changed. And that yeah. was uh, you had pretty uh, 
particular feelings about the difference between male and female dealers? Yeah, well, you know, I uh, tried to go back to the uh, world's greatest blackjack book and found it, but I, I remembered reading about uh, a survey that was done that, that said that blackjack players won more from women than, than from men. Yeah. And, but I couldn't go back. I, f- I remember reading it, but I couldn't find it. The, uh, and I, I mean, think I referred to that in the book. Lance Humble's book, The World's Greatest Blackjack Book, um, you know, the, the, the system is good. High opt is good. The numbers are good. But all of his personal stuff in there, you know, is just craziness. I mean, he thinks he used to think every time he lost, he got cheated. He thought yeah. there was just rampant cheating in it everywhere, which, you know, he was just wrong. Uh-huh. You know, um, so and yeah, I, I, I just I think that um, I don't think there's any real basis for that. Uh, uh, I, I do think, though, that uh, one of the things I realized that is that, you know, there are certain places, certain casinos I really like. I like to sit in certain places in casinos. I mean, if the if the uh, dealer is, you know, antagonistic or overly competitive, it doesn't really help me at this point. So, so you know. It certainly makes it less pleasant. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So. For a very attractive female dealer, do you find yourself getting more distracted by with your mind going places it shouldn't, perhaps, rather than not be able to keep track of the count? Well, in the interest of preserving the marriage that you referred to earlier, I'll say absolutely not. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So but, but, but you know, they have those bikini dealers uh, down yes. there, and those are not tables that I play. <laughs> well, but primarily because the rules on those games are quite a <laughs> they're bit They're terrible. <laughs> yeah, usually Because people aren't looking at the rules. You That's know? right. They, but they are thinking of penetration. <laughs> so, okay. Richard. <laughs> so we welcome your questions. Uh, send them to us at gamblingwithanedge at gmail.com, or you can send them to us at facebook.com slash gamblingwithanedge, or you can tweet them at me at rwm21. You can get the show delivered to you automatically at iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or my site, richardbunchkin.com, or... Thank you, Richard. (laughs) You've been listening to Gambling with an Edge with your hosts, Bob Dancer and Richard Munchkin. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, and episodes will be delivered to you automatically every week. Archived versions of past shows may be found at bobdancer.com and richardmunchkin.com. We welcome emails at gamblingwithanedge at gmail.com. Bob Dancer and Richard Munchkin are both available on Facebook and welcome your questions. The sponsors for the show are the South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa, the M Resort, the Palms Casino Resort, and the website videopoker.com. Join us again next week for another Gambling with an Edge. Money.